And now I just feel like I'm open to whatever works. I really see that each connection that I make really is about that particular connection. So that connection might be kitchen table. They might be, you know, parallel poly. So I just kind of more look about what, what does that connection need? And does that work with what I currently have going on in my life? Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 276. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an amazing conversation with Sarah, who has been exploring non-monogamy since 2006 and has a very wide-ranging journey. Yeah, over the last 17 years or so that Sarah's been exploring non-monogamy, she's tried a whole variety of different ways of doing it. And as you kind of heard there at the beginning, sort of landed on a whatever works mentality, depending on the relationship. And we think that's a beautiful approach, and she talks about it in a whole lot more depth throughout this conversation. We also talk a lot about codependency and interdependency, transitioning relationships, exploring solo poly, and a whole bunch of other amazing things. And so we just wanted to say a huge, huge thank you to Sarah for coming on and sharing your story. Sarah is also the co-creator of Southwest Love Fest, which is an amazing conference coming up if we do say so ourselves. We're excited about it. Well, maybe because we're going to be presenting there. We are going to be presenting and we'll be attending April 14th to the 16th in Tucson, Arizona. Sarah talks a lot about her motivations for the conference in the end, at the end of this interview. But if you want more information and sign up now, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and you can find links in the show notes for today's episode. And by using the code EMMA, when you sign up for the conference, you can save 10%. And with that, we're going to jump right into the interview for all of our premium subscribers. And for the rest of you, we have a couple of amazingly hilarious and awesome announcements. We're going to do our best to make them hilarious. Always do. (laughs) First up, premium subscription. If you're not familiar, it's a way to skip all of these announcements at the front and support the show with just as little as $2 a year. You can sign up at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. On the homepage, just scroll down a little bit and you can find out all of the information. Starting off with a hilarious bang. It's super funny, right? (laughs) (laughs) I liked how you said scrolling down to the bottom. That was my favorite part. Yeah, okay, I nailed it there. Are you laughing? Are you laughing? The punchline was amazingly (laughs) delivered. (laughs) Next up. Next up, community. One of the things that Sarah talks about at great length in this conversation is the importance and the value that community has played in her life and her journey through non-monogamy, but I think even just in relationships and just in life. And so... We happen to have a community of our own. We do. It is a virtual community we've been running for about four years now, and it's a couple of bucks a month. We do a men's group. We do a women's group. We're working on launching a non-binary person group, and we also have like ongoing chats and forums and just an amazing community of about 250 to 300 people who, by the way... Thank you to all of you for being a part of it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We show up every day together. We support one another. And we have fun. 
We laugh, we cry, we sometimes share a few sexy photos. <laughs> to find out more, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You hear us say it all the time, but it's right there, the community tab. You can find out more and join. I think the whole point of it is community is so powerful. Yes. And whether it's our community or anybody's community, we highly suggest you find one, surround yourself in it, engulf yourself in it, and and help make it a better world out there. Because it's so, so powerful. Yes. If maybe you're not like ready to commit to the monthly $5 that we're charging. What do they have other options, Emma? They do have another option. We have a monthly virtual meet and greet. Our next one is coming up this Thursday. That's tomorrow if you're listening on the day that this episode drops. Or today if you waited a day. That's true. It's February 23rd. We do these virtual meet and greets. They're open to anyone. You just must be respectful and open-minded. And they're a great way to come join, spend two hours chit-chatting with lots of fun people. We give you a topic and put you in breakout rooms in Zoom to chat with a few people, and then we mix them up so that you can get to meet as many people as possible throughout the evening. Yeah, we have a we have a blast with these. We do. We do. And if you happen to listen to this and you're like, ah, oh, darn, I missed it, don't worry. Check our website. We'll have another one in March. The other thing you don't need to worry about by missing it huh. is many of the people who are part of the virtual meet and greets are also part of the community. Right. So for just like $5 a month, you could come and be part of the community and you could ask them, hey, what did I miss? And they'll be like, how about we do a spontaneous one, just the, the five of us, <laughs> and I'll grab a couple of other friends and we'll make a party out of it. Yeah. That yeah. could happen. It could happen. You know, some of our members actually flew across the country last weekend just to hang out with each other. I know. We it's, didn't We didn't facilitate any of that. It's remarkable. It is. And amazing. And we so love- can, can we like... Can we wrap it up? No, I was going to say, like, can we plug this anymore? Like, I feel oh. like we've plugged it a lot. I did. And it was hilarious. Was it? I don't know. Are you laughing? <laughs> Listener, are you laughing? They're I don't like, know. Fast forward, fast forward, fast probably, forward. Probably. Because they wanted to fast forward to our favorite segment. STDcheck.com. <laughs> which is Emma and I's favorite way to get tested for STIs. It's the most hilarious, fastest, most efficient, and affordable way to get tested for STIs. I threw the hilarious part in there because we promised you a funny intro. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the whole process is necessarily <laughs> hilarious, but make it what you want. Yeah, I, I say make it what you want. At about $129 exactly for a 10-panel test, when you use the links on our website, you save the $10. Did I say that part? <laughs> I think you did. All right. You save $10. <laughs> you save $10, and it helps support the show financially. And so we are eternally grateful to you for that. You Again, did say about $129 exactly. Right. <laughs> so, so that's the hilarious part. I know, but it's only funny because it takes people a while to process it. <laughs> like I, like, I, like I, a great example here. <laughs> I caught it when you said it. I just didn't want to jump in and interrupt you. Got it. Got it. So again, links are on our website in our podcast show notes or on our resources page at normalizingmonogamy.com. You can also find links in your podcast player. You can. And the last thing you can do while you're on our website, you can reach out to us. Send us an email. Send us a voicemail. We will send you an email or a voicemail back. A hilarious one, of course. Of course. Yeah. Full of jokes. (laughs) Because this intro was full of jokes. So you have no reason to doubt that. Correct. (laughs) We're reliable, if nothing else. Anyway, we would love to hear from you. Links to do that are all on our website. So normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Nailed it. Nailed it. And now, I told you we were hilarious. And now, let's go and talk with Sarah. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. We're so excited to have you here today, and we're excited to talk about all the things. But we'd love for you to start by just introducing yourself. 
Thank you for having me. My name's Sarah, and I'm the co-creator of Southwest Love Fest with Kate Kincaid. I do lots of eclectic things. I have lots of interests. So um, I'm actually a professional organizer and interior designer. I also do uh, plant healing work. Um, So I work with flower essences and I'm now starting to get trained in other plants by the plants themselves, actually. So that's a whole (laughs) fun thing. And then a little bit about me is I'm really evolving into anti-capitalism work and uh, community building. And so that really ties in with Southwest Love Fest since really looking at how Southwest Love Fest can be community building for everyone on many levels. Yeah. Amazing. Well, we are, we are huge fans of community ourselves. And so we're glad you're here and we're, we're actually excited to be part of Love Fest. Well, we're not actually like it's a surprise, but we are (laughs) excited to be coming to Southwest Love Fest in a few weeks. And so we're excited to talk today. Yeah. Uh, so this is a podcast about non-monogamy too. Hold but on. Did she know that? <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> so I was curious if you could talk a little bit about your relationship structure at the moment, and then we can go uh, back in time. Yeah. Currently, I have a nesting partner. Um, also named Sarah. We joke that our house is called the Double Sarah Palace, (laughs) but we're both non-monogamous. And I feel like having been non-monogamous myself since uh, 2006, I think, I've kind of run the gamut of all the different kinds. Um, When I first started out, I was uh, married and I had... My, my husband at the time and I, we just kind of were figuring it out. I think we ended up doing hierarchical uh, polyamory while trying not to do that, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a common starting place for a lot of people who are in some kind of uh, committed relationship. And then once I divorced, I definitely was solo poly for a long time. And now I just feel like I'm open to whatever works. I really see that each connection that I make really is about that particular connection. So that connection might be kitchen table. They might be, you know, parallel poly. So I just kind of more look about what, what does that connection need? And does that work with what I currently have going on in my life? Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And a, a nice high overview of the the, the journey we're going to go on together right, for right. the next hour. Yeah. And so I'm excited for that. So going back to 2006-ish, ish, uh-huh. <laughs> how, did, how did non-monogamy come into sort of the the come into view for you and your husband at the time. Yeah. I read the book, uh, stranger in a strange land mm-hmm. by Heinlein. And for those who haven't read it, it's, it's not about non-monogamy, but there's a whole section where the main character is engaging in non-monogamy and uh, without saying that, uh, and I was really blown away. I was like, Oh, this, this is what, I've been wanting and I didn't even 
to have words for it or an idea of what that would actually look like. And so I got really excited reading the book and I think waited a couple of days and finally went to my husband and was like, um, I read this in the book and he had recommended the book to me. So he had already read it. And I was like, what do you think about that? Do you, do you think we could do that? And he was like, oh yeah, I've already, already thought about that before, but I just <laughs> had never brought it up to you, you know? So we got really excited about it and we talked a long time about it and decided very, I, I think that same day that, yeah, this is us. This we're, we're not in Monagos now. How long had you two been together up until that point? Uh, we had been together for four or five years. Okay. Yeah. So quite a little while. Uh-huh. Well, and I, and I'm, I'm curious though, too, in, in that same question of you'd said like, this is the thing I'd been looking for, for a while. It sounds like it was like a light bulb moment. And it sounds like maybe he had been too. Mm-hmm. What, what were you feeling leading up to that point that it sounds like there was things tumbling around that were almost being suppressed. And I think that's a very relatable place to be in life. Uh huh. Yeah. I think what really resonated with me at the time was that I've always been a person who really cares about community. Um, I grew up in a very tight knit, uh, family and we pretty much did everything together. So I always felt like I was always oriented towards community. And so it felt like reading that way of relating to people in a dating sense and a, in a sexual sense that I was like, Oh, this is the same thing. You know, this is what I've been wanting and definitely had those awkward moments in like college where, you know, like was trying to date the boyfriend of one of my friends. And, you know, it was just like, while I understood it was against the general rules of society at the same time, I was like, but we have a connection. I don't understand. Like, couldn't this work out somehow? So yeah, it, it felt like all the pieces fell into place then of, oh yeah, this, this is almost like my person orientation. I am oriented to community in all senses. I love that. And I think, but there's an, there's an interesting layer on top of that because you could build community around your knitting or your book club Mm -hmm. or your whatever activity you like to do. And so the level of building community around relating authentically, Mm -hmm. that's a, I think that's a community building level that not many people think is even possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, Maybe just curious, like for you, you just, you, it wasn't like, oh, I'm interested in community. I'm going to find other people who like plants. You're like, I like community and I want to date this person, but I'm dating this person. I'm curious about that person. And that's like, that's just a whole new way of doing it. And I'm, I just, I don't know if there's a question in there other than like, it's, it's a very progressive <laughs> way of thinking Yeah, and it's very relatable for, for, for me, but I'm just, I'm fascinated by it, I suppose. Yeah. I think, um, part of this is I really see humanity, at least it, you know, what I'm seeing, I really see humanity kind of returning to our roots of we've been living for a long time for, you know, us right now in terms of our memory of really living separated from each other. You know, everything about our society is sort of geared to separate all of us. 
And I, I really see that we're kind of returning back to community living, community building, taking care of one another. And it's really felt like kind of my life work in this, in this life. Uh, I'm actually in the process of, I've obtained a property that's the house I'm in right now, but I can actually build five other units. And so I'm building like a small, tiny house community. Yeah. So for me, it, it really has felt kind of like, like I said, like my person orientation of community is where it's at. And, and I think for me, then non-monogamy naturally fits in that because it's, Mm -hmm. it's relating authentically on all levels to everyone around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And so how did, how did you and your husband, you read the book Mm -hmm. and this is, this is actually a funny theme. We actually had this with another set of guests, a couple of months ago where they're like, we read the ethical slut and we were just like, well, that's it. We're polyamorous. (laughs) And it's like you two, you two read stranger in a strange land. And you're like, well, here we are. We're not monogamous today. Like you woke up one way and you went to bed another. And I'm curious, that's, that's a fun way to do it. But what, what happens the day after? Yeah. Um, we literally had, I think four or five years after that moment where we hadn't actually physically engaged with anyone on that level because at the time our friend group, um, was pretty much all coupled off or people that were like, no, I'm I'm not interested in that. You, (laughs) You weird people can go do that on your own. So it took a long while before we actually even kind of encountered anybody else that was interested that we were also interested in that way. And it pretty much coincided with around the time that we decided to have a child. So it was maybe like a year before. And that was where I was saying, you know, that that we were hoping to engage in a non-hierarchical way. You know, none of these terms existed that I know of at least um, Mm -hmm. when we started. And so we were just like, well, we don't, we want other partners to feel part of this partnership, but we really didn't know how to navigate having a nesting relationship with someone else who's not living with us um, and has those same financial ties. So yeah, there were definitely some steep learning curves there of how, how do you navigate all of that? Yeah. Yeah, Well, there's a, there is a, it's just a different relationship when a nesting partner versus a non-nesting partner, Mm -hmm. because there are things that you're sharing Mm -hmm. in that, in that capacity that you're just not with someone else. Yeah. Functional hierarchy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious that that five-year window, was it, Day one, you're like, we're not monogamous. And then day two to day five years in, is it you were trying or was it sort of just like you you agreed on it, you put it on the back burner, like this is a thing we're doing and if something comes to us, great, mm-hmm. but we're not really out seeking it. I, what did that What did that timeline look like? Or I, Yeah, yeah just- we, we talked a lot about it with other people. But like I said, again, our friend group was just kind of like, <laughs> Uh, okay. That, that sounds really, uh, scary and we don't want any part of it really. Yeah. And I think at the same time, neither of us wanted to be like on a dating site or anything. Mm -hmm. 
So it really was like, we were actively talking about it and actively interested. And at the same time, didn't really have anything coming our way. (laughs) Yeah. Just the way we're going about it. Yeah. Did you, did you have like an ideal of what you wanted to come your way? Like if you could have manifested anything into your, your world, yeah, we really wanted other people to be living with us. We, when, when I read Stranger in a Strange Land, we had already purchased a house and it was a four bedroom house. And we had originally purchased it with uh, my husband's sister. And she, after about a year was like, nah, I don't want to live with other people. So we bought her out and then we were renting out rooms. So really ideally what we wanted was people to move in and we'd all be nesting partners together and one big happy family. Yeah. And trying to find that not easy. Yeah. No, right. I was going to say that's an easy thing to make happen. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's amazing. I just, the, the leap from like day Monday, we're not Polly. Tuesday, we're Polly. Wednesday, we have people living with us. Like, what? Or we want people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah. and kind of like the funny arc of everything with this too is that one of the people that my husband started dating right after our daughter was born, he's now still dating her. Um, so they've now been together longer than we were together because it was about 10 years when we got divorced. Yeah. So, and my daughter goes back and forth there out in California. I'm in Arizona. It, we had a, a long period of learning to co-parent together, uh, copacetically, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we finally achieved that. Yeah. So that, that was like a whole level of doing pretty much polyamory, but at the same time, not a whole lot of dating in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and backing up to, you kind of alluded to the fact that stuff started falling in your lap right around the time you were thinking about having a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which makes it extra complicated. Right. (laughs) Which we didn't think was complicating anything at all. (laughs) 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 We're pretty naive about that. (laughs) Just move in. It'll be fine. Trust us. And don't worry about the fact that I'm pregnant. That won't be an issue either. No problem. So, so what did that time look like in reality for you? What, what started coming your way and how did it start coming your way? So it, it was someone that was kind of a new addition to the friend group, I think. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's been long enough now that I'm like having to think about it. It was actually someone that had dated my husband's nephew. And so that's how she came into the friend circle. (laughs) (laughs) And when she broke up with him, then she was kind of like, yeah, I think I'm interested. Was she interested in dating both of you or or just your husband at the time? Just my husband. Yeah. Yeah. At the time I felt pretty firmly heterosexual. um, Mm -hmm. And she, I think she was kind of open maybe, but since I wasn't really open uh, that way. Yeah. um, It was pretty much her dating my husband, but we were friends as well. So we were really trying to do kitchen table poly and we realized fast that that's just challenging to navigate when she doesn't live there. She's not financially involved at all. Yeah. 
So it, it got messy fast. <laughs> and then you had a child on uh-huh. top of it that whole, that whole time. Yeah. So or that, that like right around the time. Yeah. Last, so yeah. that partner, she was actually coming to my midwife appointments. My, my midwife was coming to our house for the appointments. So she was like there and we're like, yeah, we're, we're all together. And the midwife was like, okay, this is interesting. Never had this before. (laughs) I love it. So I think one of the things that's just stands out to me is how I think the word enthusiastic Uh comes to mind. It's like, we're not just going to like, we're going to break our marriage open and like flirt with it. It's like, no, no, bring it on, like back the dump truck in, yeah. like bring all of the yeah, poly that you can on. bring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, th- I just think that's, I don't know that we've really had people, anybody on the show that's really talked about it in this way and is not a criticism in any way. I think uh-huh. it's amazing. But mm-hmm. the, the, the narrative we usually hear is we talked about it. We thought about it. We dipped a toe in, we came back out. We, and you're like, we're at the midwife appointments. We wanted to move in. We're like, well, at this point it had been a few years of talking and like yeah. trying to meet people. Yeah. But they hadn't actually like dated other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 philosophy I, before that. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Yeah. But to jump from the book work to the lab work uh-huh. in that, in that, like, I think that's just a big jump. And I think it's amazing. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is amazing. So tell us how it went. Yeah, how, how did it go did, from that? Point? Did your husband's partner ever move in with you, or did not? Did you not get to that point? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think she kind of was moved in, but then I'm trying. To, I don't remember the whole the timeline it's exactly. Okay. It's like pregnancy brain. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to. You're good. I, I think she broke it off fairly amicably before kiddo was born. I think that's how it went. And then she actually uh, dated my brother after that. So (laughs) very close in circle. Um, And my brother was living with me at the time. So she was in the house then. (laughs) I think is how that all played out, which was nice because we had a lot of support for when uh, my daughter was born. Yeah. So it, it was, it was this whole like period of trying to like navigate all that and everything. And yeah, that was one of the things of like a lot of people thought that it was the non-monogamy part that broke up our marriage, but it really was, we really had a challenging time navigating having a kid. Mm-hmm. So I, I had really bad postpartum depression and, and, um, he didn't really know what to do with that. And I didn't really know what to do with that. I was undiagnosed for like two years. So, um, yeah, so that really is what, uh, ended our, our relationship with each other. But yeah, so it was like six months after she was born. Um, he started dating one of my friends and like I said, they're still together. So yeah, it's been a interesting journey. Yeah. <laughs> Which and just to be clear, that's someone different than the first woman. Correct. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yeah, that woman's now dating her father. Way to way to make everyone confused. No, I'm just I'm just having fun with it. Okay. So so maybe then you kind of talked about how things sort of ended between you and and your husband mm-hmm. at the time. 
you jump off on a solo poly journey. Yeah. It sounded like what is well and and trying to navigate postpartum depression yes. too yeah. for yeah. the for multiple years. Yeah. yeah. So you, you have a new a new child, newly divorced, mm-hmm. dealing with a lot, and now it's time for solo polyamory. How yeah, it, how does that journey look? You know, it I had a lot to unravel from my marriage. Yeah. Uh I think as many people experience in this society, um, there was a lot of codependency going on. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a huge journey. I mean, it really felt like it took all of my thirties because we pretty much got divorced when I was 31, I think. And yeah, it was like all of my thirties was this journey work of coming back to myself, learning who I am, learning how to be interdependent instead of codependent. And so it felt really important for me. Like at first I was really trying to just have another nesting partner, just like have the same setup because I've got a kid, like that's what you're supposed to do. Right. I, I have to have this all set up again. And then I clearly, uh, I think within a couple of years, I just really saw that that's not what I wanted. You know, I, I was really enjoying being able to develop myself. So yeah, I would say for a good six years, I really felt very strongly that I was solely solo solely polyamorous because it was part of my work with myself. Yeah. How how did you navigate doing the work of shifting from codependent to interdependent while also navigating solo polyamory and I think maybe where that question's coming from is heavy question. Well, yeah, <laughs> it is because codepe- so codependency is something that Emma and I are are you know being together for seventeen ish years, mm-hmm. yeah, unraveling ourselves mm-hmm. or trying mm-hmm. to unravel, yeah, while also being polyamorous, and it's not easy, right? Yeah. It's sort of like really your inner pressure, your inner <laughs> pressure cooker, uh-huh. trying to do this really hard work. Yeah. And I think it could be easy to say like, well, you, you ended the marriage. Well, codependency broken, but it's not, it's not a relational thing. It's a, like, it's a, it's kind of a who you are thing, or I'm learning that for myself. Like I'm yeah. just a codependent type person that I need to be aware of and work on. Well, it's the and, soup that we all swim in, you know, like yeah. that's yeah. what yeah. we're taught as a relationship. As like a society. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I felt for me, because I had had the, the marriage end is I felt like it was going to be too hard to navigate being in that same kind of like nesting partnership. And yeah. so it, it felt much easier to navigate from a solo polyamory perspective, because then I didn't feel like my resources were tied with another partner mm-hmm. because that felt like the hardest part to unravel codependency for myself yeah, and learn how to be interdependent. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. I think because maybe what I was saying in way too many words is that the codependency <laughs> can easily follow you from relationship to Absolutely. relationship. It's, yeah. it's easy oh, yeah. to clone it and say, well, oh, 
that was that felt good. Mm-hmm. We'll do it again over here. And I, it sounds like for you, some of that was changing the physical structure. So yeah, don't live together. Don't share bank accounts together. Don't buy cars. So mm-hmm. if we if we have some separate lives, we mm-hmm. are we are almost forced to not be codependent, at least in some ways. You can still mm-hmm. you can still leak it in there for oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, sure. yeah. <laughs> but it but it makes it a little there's a maybe a, a, a barrier of separation. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I really for a long time just needed the resources to be separate so that mm-hmm. I could figure out, you know, that all for myself without feeling like that was tangled together. I feel like, you know, I've been doing a long journey around interdependence because again, you know, I've said I'm community oriented. And mm-hmm. so I realized at first when I was trying to unravel codependency, I was just going to what we're also taught. Oh, you just be independent. Mm-hmm. And then I quickly realized like that wasn't going to serve me. And so learning how to do interdependence. And I think interdependence is, is a, a tricky one to see clearly because you still are leaning on and leaning in with other people but in a way that you are, I still haven't figured out a good word for this. Like it, like the the word that comes to mind is self-sufficient on your own, Mm -hmm. but I still feel like that's just saying independence in a different way. So I I don't have the word I want for that, but it's like, you know, you're, you're in charge of all your own things. And at the same time working with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding that balance. Mm-hmm. Cuz we're all, you know, at the end of the day we're all built to have some alone time, but also to depend like to have relationships and connections with other people. Absolutely. Which gets to the whole community part too yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Do, rather than try to get the exact word, maybe an example if one comes to mind mm-hmm. of way that you feel that you live more interdependently today versus your codependent way of doing it mm-hmm. a decade or more ago. Again, I know I'm like putting you on the spot with that, but if, if there is like one that pops into your mind that stands out for you. Um, I think it's actually methodology for me is how I look at it. I use my feelings as my first guide. If I'm feeling really anxious and feeling scarcity around something, I recognize that I'm thinking about it in a codependent way thinking that, you know, maybe I can't provide it or someone's better at this thing than me and they need to do it for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and so then switching my mode of thinking of, okay, so why am I feeling this anxiety? Is this something that I can provide on my own? Or is this something that I need to look for resources elsewhere? And then having the mindset of there are many options. Cause I feel like for me, codependency pops up when I feel like I have a scarcity of options, like maybe only one person can do this, or there's only one place I can get this. So really shifting into looking at the need and how to creatively meet that need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that way that you phrase that. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think there's an element too, in there of trusting the other people that they yes. can do the same for themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a big it, part of it. Yeah. Cause it's so easy to pop in and be like, I'll save you. I can do that for you. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's like two sides of the codependency coin. There's I'm relying on everybody or everybody's relying on me. Mm-hmm. They're both 
tough to break, tough cycles to break. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think a lot of that is, um, I've really worked on my communication with other people of when I do ask for something, you know, where I'm asking for their time or I'm asking for a service or, um, you know, like comfort or whatever it is that I'm asking in a way that they know that they can say no, that I'm not feeling like they have to provide this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Taking, trying to take the pressure off, like invite mm-hmm. the no rather than telling, like telling them what they must do. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. like, you know, having a whole story of why it would be really amazing if they could fulfill this need for me so that they feel pressured. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. It's right. huge. Yeah. Um, so it's been this like journey of solo poly for about, you said like six years mm-hmm. or so. Where did your, what happened after that? Well, um, I would say my kind of end for that period in a, and I really recognize like, you know, life is long. <laughs> I may mm-hmm. be back into solo poly later <laughs> down the road, but that period, uh, kind of culminated with a partner that I actually did move in with, but we had separate rooms and it was a really lovely setup. We both really enjoyed it. We rarely actually slept together. Even, um, we had our own time together, but we mostly were just doing our own thing. You know, we both had different work and, but we did like a lot of like, we would have breakfast together, make breakfast together. And, and that was kind of like our real quality time that we had every day together. So I felt like that period kind of was, it, it felt like all the work that I had done around interdependence, it was like, Oh, okay. I I've got my skills down. Like this, this, this works. And so then I moved into a period of, uh, actually building self Southwest love fest and in building Southwest love fest, my main goal for Southwest love fest, that it was an inclusive concept, uh, conference, because that was something that, um, Kate and I had seen going to other conferences is that they tended to be at that time tended to be very white, heterosexual, uh, couple driven focus in terms of work and who was able to show up. And so looking at inclusivity, what intersects on all levels to create inclusivity. I actually started really questioning everything for myself because I questioned all my identities because it felt like without doing that, I, I didn't have a good idea of what that looks like for other people. And so that's when I um, actually questioned in terms of my sexual identity. And I really saw that, okay, I'm pansexual. I'm, I'm not heterosexual. And so that's what really opened up the doors to, uh, meeting my current partner, Sarah. And that has been a whole beautiful journey as well. Um, really feeling like, uh, a new untangling for me, a new untangling of, uh, heteronormativity and 
untangling a lot of uh, patriarchal beliefs. Like I, I saw a whole new level of codependent things that had been stuck with that heteronormative way of relating to the world. Did you feel that the codependency, the, uh, the way I'm thinking of this is a, you, you, you crush codependency and a heteronormative mm-hmm. dynamic. And then you're like, well, what the hell is this thing? I was not expecting this. And now all the, these codependencies, I mean, heck you even share the same name. That's codependence. Sarah. Right? So <laughs> how do you, <laughs> like, what, what, what showed up for you when, or were you saying that it was actually easier having gotten into a, a non-heteronormative relationship? It felt way easier. Um, yeah, a lot easier because it felt like we were more naturally giving to each other without prescripted roles. Got it. So it, like, I, I feel like a lot of times it's very easy to fall into that heteronormative Mm -hmm. role playing of like, okay, well, you know, woman does housework and guy does the fix it stuff. And Mm -hmm. because this was the first partner where those roles were erased for me, then I got to ask every time something came up of, oh, do I actually like this? Does my partner like this? How do we want to navigate this? So it, it felt really easy then to address this whole new layer of stuff that I still hadn't been seeing. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, I think it's it's so, and it, these are things that nobody even really. I don't think you think about on the day to day just how much of the heteronormative, the norms that go into everything mm-hmm. we do. Right? You said like, oh, the car's broken. Yeah. Well, that's a man's job. Oh, mm-hmm. the stove. You need to clean the stove and cook dinner. Well, that's the woman's job, right? Mm-hmm. And and everything has been gendered in our society for eternity. Yeah. And, and now you're like, mm, well, that's the man's job. Well, there's not technically one of those here. So now we have to figure out who's going to do that. Mm-hmm. Or this is quote unquote, the woman's job. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two of us who wants to, well, how do we want to do this? Well, right? so it's trying to erase the gender norms exactly. completely. Yeah. Right. And I know that was a very binary conversation I just <laughs> had with myself. So I, I'm not thinking that we all live in this binary, but I, mm-hmm. for the, for the sake of the heteronormative examples, that's why I went there. So, yeah, I, I actually, um, I have been reading this book for quite a while. <laughs> One of those books, like you pick up and you read a co- like a chapter and you're like, Whoa. And then you have to think about it and put it down, but it's called, um, the tragedy of heterosexuality. And that felt really affirming um, of the work that I've been doing in this relationship of recognizing that actually queer culture in general has already been doing all of this work for many, many years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that one of the things that the, the author was talking about is that, you know, in this society, because heterosexuality is seen as the norm, that there's this expectation that that's also the best relationship form Mm -hmm. and that everybody else is suffering. That's not practicing that. And what she was purporting in the book is basically like, uh, nah, you know, you heterosexual folks are the ones actually suffering 
we're doing great because we've been working on this and we're not suffering under this. Yes, we're marginalized in the other ways. And at the same time, we're not experiencing what you all are experiencing. And it would be really lovely if you all could see what you're experiencing. Because <laughs> we see you in pain. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Let us point this out to you. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're, you're suffering because we are injecting suffering onto you, not because it is coming from within your relational exactly. world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And... Yeah, I can totally see why that book is like one that you pick up and read a chapter and like really need to think about it. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. Like I love that challenge of um, thinking about things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, th- I think maybe in that same vein, Sarah, just curious some of the things that you've really felt maybe growth edges for yourself over the last few years that you've, I mean, I would say from maybe beginning of exploring polyamory, but it sounds like maybe this last couple of years and being in a, um, a non-heteronormative relationship has, Mm -hmm. has been a big spot of growth for you. And if there's a couple of things that you've really taken away during that time that, that you'd be open to sharing. I think like I was saying that, really having that curious mindset of everything in a relationship is not taken for granted that you are asking yourself first and then asking your partner. And I think one of the things that we've really cultivated in our relationship is that we're always a checking in if we've forgotten to check in, you know, if we've gone on autopilot, we are good about recognizing those signs of like, Oh, someone's getting upset about something and, and to be curious about that. And that also, I think the beauty of being in that is that we're also recognizing that things are fluid, you know, as you go through things, keep checking in, you know, if there's another moment of upset or recognizing that something's not clicking right to check in, you know, that Mm -hmm. we can update. And, uh, I feel like that, that has been the real strength and and beauty of learning from this current relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Have you, have you had the opportunity to maybe test in some ways, test those skills mapped back to a heteronormative, partnership in some way Mm. that you you've come and sharpened them all over here. Mm -hmm. And now are they applicable? Like, are they reverse compatible backwards compatible? Maybe. So I, like I said, you know, I, I recognized in, in questioning all of my identities for Southwest love fest, um, and looking at inclusivity is that, yeah, okay. I see I'm pansexual. And the, the thing that I quickly recognized is that I needed to do a hiatus of any heterosexual men. Mm-hmm. And so I have deliberately put that on pause. I am now feeling this is now three years later. Yeah. Three years later Four. Oh no. Four years later. Um, cause actually we started dating in 2019 Southwest love fest. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an easy anniversary. You, you, you and Sarah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's almost four years now. 
So now I'm feeling like I could actually look um, at male heterosexual partners again. And it's been interesting because, um, you know, I haven't dated anyone in that time period. And at the same time, I've had lots of like satellite partners who were just sexual partners that we enjoyed friendship mostly, but then there, there could be sex involved as we felt like it. And I've had a lot of conversations with all of these satellite partners talking about this dynamic because they were all heterosexual men. And it's been really interesting talking to them about it because they've all been kind of surprised that I've voiced how much pain I'd actually experienced being in that heteronormative context because they had all felt like, you know, things were really great between, uh, you know, themselves and myself. And yeah, so it, it was kind of challenging to communicate the, the pain that I've experienced with that. And I think, um, a lot of what that comes down to is that there's a general pain from the system. You know, Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily some action that they did or didn't do that caused this pain, but it was me feeling constrained and less than because of living in that heteronormative system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, and what's so hard with that is that, that probably on the day to day, right? You show up, you're happy, you're enjoying things mm-hmm. because that's the system. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you, you, but when you start to question it, right, you spend every day for who knows how long with somebody and you're like, they're happy. We're happy. Our relationships mm-hmm. jiving. And then yeah. you find out like, Oh wait, there was pain and suffering and all of these things going on below that surface that perhaps you didn't even recognize were there until you start to really get introspective. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't aware of that pain at all. You know, like I, I really thought my whole journey with my thirties of really being very intentional. And I felt like I was digging down to the bedrock. Yeah, no, there was a whole nother layer under there. (laughs) (laughs) And who knows what the future will bring. Uh That's the thing. Like you never know. That's how healing works. You know, it's a constant Mm -hmm. onion skin layer. Right. There's always another one. <laughs> There's always another one, which can be exhausting, but also mm-hmm. it's like part of being human, yeah. right? As we yeah. dig and try to find those different onion layers and mm-hmm. work through one. And and it is a beautiful process, but it can also be very painful. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you need a break. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was just feeling like there's, you know, after high school, a lot of times people take a gap year mm-hmm. before they go off. Mm-hmm. Like, I think everyone needs like a gap, a gap time from like hetero men to feel like, what are, what are we without this patriarchy bullshit that's been like injected into yeah. us? Yeah. Yeah. I think anyone who, who is in that heteronormative system. Yeah. I think breaks are a really beneficial thing. I don't think it's the only way, but I mm-hmm. think it's an easy way because you have the space to suddenly go, oh, all of these things are wrapped up in that without yeah. being on autopilot. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. And my only caveat to that would be just don't all take your gap year at the same time because that would make things a bit <laughs> a oh, bit yes. sparse out there. Or maybe maybe that's maybe that's what we need to wake up from the from the yeah. I was actually just talking about this the other day is that I think, you know, because there is this pain for both, you know, men and women in the heteronormative system, as well as anyone else participating in the system, that there is a lot of pain there is that I think there needs to be work with people along the same identity together. I think, Mm -hmm. because I think that's kind of like gap work Mm -hmm. Um, and that there also needs to be the work of uh, not same identities working with each other. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've had my eyes opened to this in the last two and a half, three years. I've been running a men's group Mm -hmm. uh, as part of our community. And we were meeting monthly. We still meet monthly, but we also have a weekly men's group. And that's a smaller, tighter knit group of, of guys. And it's been some of the most like powerful time I've ever spent, um, in a, in, in, in any situation really. And just being able to sit and have the conversations that we have without, I don't know, we just, we leave so much of it at the door and we show up in a way that it's, I I had this vision of what this was going to look like. And it is not even a little bit of what it mm-hmm. what I thought, mm-hmm. and so I I completely agree. There's so much power in that, and uh, yeah. So thank you for taking us down that road. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and expanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now, I guess looking forward, do mm-hmm. you have any thoughts about? You said you might be in a place where you might start dating heterosexual men again. Mm-hmm. You're not sure. Kind of like, do you have any thoughts moving forward? Uh, I think there's two aspects to that. I definitely have started like pre-menopause and that's been mm-hmm. interesting because I'm 43 now and my sexual drive has definitely decreased. Um, so I was actually talking about this with one of my friends of how, um, because she's similar age range, um, she's actually a little more ahead. Like she's actually in menopause. And how, like, there's so much strife (laughs) from that sexual drive of uh, feeling like, you know, you need to be attractive and that you need to have a partner. And and so it's also been interesting for me feeling lessened interest in sex and therefore my drive for relationship has really changed. I feel a lot more demisexual now in I really want connection with a person rather than a sexual relationship. Um, So even more asexual too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think really my drive for dating at this point is, is um, really doing that big community work. Um, So for me, it's, it's more about like, I want community members (laughs) and in that really tight knit way of like, these are people wanting interdependence, wanting Mm -hmm. to build that close knit community that is taking care of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, that's really what I'm looking for. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I'm on the market, so to speak, you know, like I think a lot of ways how our society kind of portrays things and how we think of things is, is it like, are you on the market or are you not? And to me, it's more about, you know, are the people coming to build what I'm building Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that ties into kind of what you outlined at the beginning, which is it's about the people and the, the relationship and the dynamic between us. So it's, it's almost as if you were never off the market. Mm-hmm. It's just about does the right person or people or community come into your life mm-hmm. that you're like, I want more of this yeah. and I want more of it. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. Maybe it's, maybe it's, no sex at all. Maybe it's all sex, right? It could Mm -hmm. be anywhere in between and you just figure it out for the two of you or the, the more of you that there are and whatever Mm -hmm. that needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I feel like it kind of leads into what Southwest Love Fest is. And so maybe talking a little bit about your, we, we, we heard from Kate a few weeks ago about sort of her drive for Mm -hmm. Southwest Love Fest. What was and we, we've also heard a little bit about yours, but maybe what, what was your drive and what is your drive today? And, and also what is Southwest Love Fest? Yeah. Yeah. So Southwest Love Fest was born in 2018 and it really was envisioned between Kate and I because we had gone to another polyamorous conference and we, A, thought of the magic of Tucson. Tucson is kind of this really beautiful artistic kind of, uh, healing place. And so we thought of like, kind of almost like a burner-esque kind of view of like, Oh, we have so much art that we could add into this. That would be really amazing to incorporate. And then also we were looking at, like, we wanted that cutting edge, relevant material that was inclusive and looking to break up the structures of inequality that we all experience. And so we've kind of built this three-day conference where it's putting those challenging questions into play. So um, A, we first always pick our speakers to be a wide range of topics, a wide range of backgrounds and identities and that we're trying to make sure that we kind of have anyone can come and feel like they see a speaker that is them and that we're also trying to build networking for people. You know, it it can be hard. I think it's getting easier because it's becoming more and more accepted and and widespread, but, you know, still when we were thinking about this back in 2017, when we were thinking of it, that it still was fairly hard to find a non-monogamy community, especially for people that don't live in a big city. So we really wanted a place that people could come network nationwide and, and start meeting other people, learning from their experiences, and then also maybe meeting new partners and lovers and pen pals or whatever. And then we also really wanted fun incorporated 
So every year we always have some kind of show or dance or um, like this year we're doing a huge facilitated cuddle puddle, which I'm so excited for. And uh, like last year we incorporated artists. So we had art there so people could see um, either non-monogamous artists or art that was adjacent to non-monogamy. So I was trying to incorporate all of that. And I think that the big thing is um, my, my drive for it is part of that community focus that I have is that, you know, what I'm envisioning is also that the vendors that come, we're creating that opportunity to have community-based marketplace rather than repeating this very top-heavy corporate model that we mostly live in. And so it's community on all levels, you know, that, that we're really looking at the financial side. We're looking at the art side that we're looking at everything that, that makes life enjoyable. How are we incorporating that into the conference? Love it. I love it too. And I'm so excited to be part of it this year. It's yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, if people want so I guess you said it started in 2018 mm-hmm. and then you went virtual for a little bit and now you're back yes. in person now. Yeah. If people want to join, like what, what do they, um, what can they expect from the weekend? Yeah. So it's, it's three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we're trying to kind of make it so that each day kind of has its own flavor and hopefully support system built in. Friday is more for your intro. So people new to polyamory, um, having some intro workshops and then also, um, just kind of like more of, um, the structural base of like, what is polyamory? What, how do you structure it? How do you navigate things? And then our cuddle puddles that day at the end. So that's another way that we're looking at, you know, people not just learning from hearing things, but they're also learning things like how do you have consent with touch and how, you know, how do you navigate, uh, touch without sex, you know, so how, how are you learning all of that? And then Saturday is more like, okay, these are all your workshops. We're pouring it all in there. We have three tracks going and then fun dance party at the end. So awesome. you get to release it and dance it all off, connect with other people. And then Sunday, uh, we're working to have a little more integration that day. So like we have massage workshop and person just dropped out, but hopefully we can get another one where, um, it's, a uh, ecstatic dance. So free movement, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, and then we end it with a town hall, which again, is, is that community purpose of having a space where we can all collectively check in with each other because it's a place where we have people share their wins in their community or things that they're struggling with, or they're looking for resources for. And then it's also a space where people can give direct feedback about the conference right then and there to Kate and I and and anyone else organizing so that we know what we did well and what, what we missed on so that we can build it better for community next year. 
And then the other thing that we're adding in this year is that um, we're going to do a virtual rebroadcast of all of the workshops. So that means, um, cause again, working on that inclusivity piece, like it's expensive to travel and, you know, get a hotel and everything. <laughs> and so how can this be accessible to folks that either don't have the time or resources to get her? So we're going to do virtual rebroadcast as well this year. So people can buy tickets to that or they can buy tickets to the in-person and also, uh, something that I think most people don't know about, you know, we try to put the message out there as much as possible is that we have complete sliding scale for the conference, either for virtual or for in-person. So there's a self-selecting sliding scale on the site, but if that doesn't work for people, they can always uh, email us at southwestlovefest at gmail.com and we'll work out something that does work for you. Yeah. Love it. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm so excited again. And links to the show notes, uh, links to sign up will be in the show notes as well. So people can find all of the information there Great. and your email too. Yep. Yeah. Link, links to everything you shared will be in there. And if you use the code Emma, you save 10%, Woo-hoo. which is awesome. <laughs> so thank you for that. And we can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. So thank you for coming on, for sharing your story can't wait to get a follow-up i can't wait to hear what happens when the when the tiny house yeah, community gets built we right can, yeah. we'll have a sister community when Yay. we build our yurt community <laughs> somewhere off that's that's on my <laughs> dream list yurts and yeah uh. is there anything else you'd like to share <laughs> taking me out of my fantasy <laughs> sorry kicking you out yeah. well, i think just a big thank you to you too um Really appreciate uh, what you all share with everyone. And um, it's really fantastic to have this connection now. Yes. Thank you. We agree. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, with that, we will see you in a few weeks. Yeah. And you have a fantastic day today. And we'll talk soon. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. Thank you. And we're back. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, for the lovely conversation and for sharing everything that you did and for the amazing work that you do with Southwest Love Fest. A quick reminder, if you're interested in joining us, we would love to have all of you join us at Southwest Love Fest because we will be there April 14th to the 16th in Tucson, Arizona. And you can sign up using the links in the podcast show notes. And if you use the code Emma, you get to save 10%. You can come heckle us. No, have fun with us. Hang out with us. Oh, okay. Do that instead. Yeah. No heckling. No. We're sensitive. This is our first workshop. It is. This is our first workshop. We're excited about it and a little nervous, nervous, but I tried to just say nervous and anxious at the same time. I know. And <laughs> you were so nervous and anxious, you couldn't even do it. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Sarah. A few other quick announcements. Our next virtual meet and greet is coming up tomorrow. That's February 23rd in the evening. Um, if Well, for anyone in the U.S., it's in the evening. <laughs> and if you miss this one, don't worry, we'll have another one in March. And I think that's it. That's pretty much it. Next week, we have an interview with Brian. Just wait for this one. It's amazing, as always. This is a great conversation. It is. I'm excited for it. He is just incredible. Yeah. And the conversation is very wide ranging. How do you think we did on our hilarity level here in the outro? Um, Maybe not. I don't know. Pretty good, I think. Give us a rating. Out of 10? I was going to have you give the rating first, (laughs) and then I was going to determine the scale. (laughs) <laughs> I'd say maybe like a five out of ten. Okay. 
Maybe a four. The whole I don't point know. was for you to say a five, and I was going to say a five out of two, and then it was going to make us feel good. <laughs> I see. So, next week. Nailed it. We'll nail it Definitely nailed this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But, hey, the good news. What? How many tries did it take to do the outro? Only one. How many did it take us to do the intro? Like ten. <laughs> so... So, gay for us. <laughs> Woohoo! All of this gold staying in. <laughs> Come back next week and listen to our interview with Brian and join us at Southwest Love Fest. We'd love to have you join us there. And also, if you can't join in person, they have a virtual option too. Just yes. want to mention that. And speaking of virtual, join us tomorrow for our virtual meet and greet. We're just plugging everything again. <laughs> and we will see you tomorrow, and then we'll see you next week, and we'll see you in Tucson. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>